Hello, you have landed at Books Are My People, a podcast for book lovers with book news, book recommendations, and ruminations on living a literary life in Los Angeles. I'm your host, Jennifer Calayeris, author, college instructor, and chicken farmer. So for those of you who have been following my chicken story, uh, the chickens are finally outside, all in their coop, away from the house, um, and yet somehow I'm still recording from my bedroom, which makes no sense. But I will have to move all of my recording equipment into my office now that the chickens are outside. And we have two new chickens. Gilda and Estelle have joined the flock. They're having a little bit of a hard time integrating, but um, they're making some headway. Definitely better than it was on day one. Um, and for those of you who are asking about eggs, we have no eggs yet. Chickens don't lay eggs till I think four to six months, and my chickens are all between six weeks and 11 weeks old. So I will keep you posted on egg production. In the meantime, a lot has happened since I last did my podcast. Uh, it probably doesn't seem that long to you, the listener. But it's been a couple of weeks, maybe even a month since I last recorded. I'm going to try and catch up so that I am recording in real time. But I think getting the podcast going took a bit longer than I thought it would. I went on a road trip with my family. I took my younger son hiking in Yosemite. And then we met the rest of my family up in Northern California for a week. And that was fantastic. And I've been doing a lot of reading. And I do love a good podcast on a road trip. Sometimes if I'm by myself, I'll listen to an audiobook. But because I had everyone with me and we couldn't decide on a book, I decided to go with podcasts. I listened to Dr. Death. They did not. And I listened to The Thread, and it was fantastic. So if you haven't checked it out yet, I would recommend it. And now on to bookish news. <laughs> Suzanne Collins, the author of the Hunger Games trilogy, is slated to release a prequel. It's going to focus on the dark days that took place after the First Rebellion, 64 years before the start of the trilogy. It's going to start the morning of the reaping of the 10th Hunger Games, and it is going to come out May 19th, 2020. There's no word of a film yet, but I'm going to go with yes, there will be a film. My kids love the Hunger Games trilogy. They just gobbled it up. So I'm sure they will be excited to read this prequel. I think I also heard that J.K. Rowling is writing a prequel to the Harry Potter series, but I don't know too much more about that. In other news, Nicholas Sparks is a terrible human being. Yes, you heard me right. Sparks is the author of The Notebook and A Walk to Remember, and he is currently in a legal battle with a former headmaster of the school that he co-founded, who claims that Sparks, as well as the other board members, fostered a discriminatory environment, including but not limited to banning students from forming an LGBTQ club at the school. And this all went down at the Epiphany School of Global Studies in New Bern, North Carolina. The school was started in 2006. And when Saul Benjamin joined as the CEO and headmaster in 2013, he noticed that the school was lacking in diversity. So he made some changes and the changes backfired and Benjamin sued the school's board of trustees, which includes Nicholas Sparks in 2014, including him specifically of 
homophobia, racism, and anti-Semitism. And you can read the full report on this story at the Daily Beast. But in a an interesting turn of events, the email correspondence between Sparks and the head of school have been released, and they pretty much speak for themselves. You can read them online if you want to, but I'm going to quote just a little tidbit. So in one of the letters, he talks about how not letting LGBT students form a club is not discriminatory. And then Sparks goes on to say, also, remember, we've had gay students before, many of them. A former headmaster handled it quietly and wonderfully, and the students considered themselves fortunate. I expect you to do the same. Ugh. Hence, Nicholas Sparks is a terrible human being. Um, He also made it clear that protests of any kind would not be allowed at the school, and the lawsuit is headed to trial in August, which by the time you're listening to this, uh, maybe we will have more news on this. I was never a big Nicholas Sparks fan anyway, so this one wasn't such a punch in the gut for me. For example, unlike last year's Sherman Alexi news, which was a gut punch, but still, I'm going to be following the story and seeing how it all plays out. In more exciting and positive news, at least for this reader here, two of my favorite books are going to be turned into TV shows. The first is Made for Love by Alyssa Nutting, which my dad and I talked about extensively in episode three, if you want to check it out. They are calling it a 10-episode, half-hour divorce comedy based on the novel, and I've also seen it described as a tragic comedy, which I kind of love that word, tragic comedy. Alyssa Nutting will be an executive producer of the show. And the second book that's becoming a limited TV series is Station Eleven, written by Emily St. John Mandel. This was a post-apocalyptic saga that came out a couple years ago, and I loved it. I wanted to mention two upcoming events that I'm going to be participating in. The first event is called The Young and the Reckless, Writing for Teens, and it's going to take place on Saturday, August 24th, 2019, uh, from 1 to 5 p.m. at UCLA campus, and it's going to be a day of presentations and panels specifically having to do with writing for a teen audience. And I am going to be running a breakout session on developing your story and characters. And I would love to see any of you there. For more information, you can go to my website at www.jennifercaloyaris.com. The second event is a workshop put on by Children's Book Writers of Los Angeles, and it is called Pitch Ready, Revision Strategies to Get Your Manuscript Pitch Party Ready. And this will be a three-hour workshop that I'm going to be running, and it is going to be on October 5th, 2019, from 10 to 1 p.m. at the Torrance Airport Meeting Room. Um, So again, you can go to my website, www.jennifercaloyaris.com for more information about either of these events. On to the books. My first book this week is This Book Will Save Your Life by A.M. Holmes, and it was originally published in 2006. Holmes is the author of May We Be Forgiven and Hello, everybody. And she also writes short fiction, some of which I have taught 
in my classes before. So if you listen to episode three featuring my dad, um, it was the weird and wonderful literature episode. And this book definitely could have been in that category. It's a little bit off kilter. It's a little bit absurd. And I think this is the kind of author that you're either going to love or it's going to rub you the wrong way. But I love it. So this book is about a man named Richard Novak. He is successful. He's middle-aged. He's divorced. And he really is quite lonely. The only people in his life um, include his trainer, his nutritionist, and his housekeeper. And it kind of reminded me, not not in the writing, but in the subject matter of James Joyce's The Dead. He's sort of just fumbling around, not really living his life. And he kind of has a panic attack. Pain lands him in the emergency room, and that's the inciting incident. It's a bit of a false alarm, but it kind of sets the wheels in motion in the novel for him to start examining his life. Simultaneously, there's this very bizarre thing happening in his backyard where a big sinkhole is forming um, and a horse from the neighborhood stumbles into it. So there's this prediction of how are they going to get the horse out of the sinkhole and why is his backyard sinking as his life is also uh, metaphorically sinking. So these two instances kind of wake him up to the world and he starts to look at life through a different lens. He's had a bit of an awakening because of this. He becomes friends with the owner of a donut shop and he becomes friends with a woman he finds weeping in the supermarket. It's a little bit of Candide, a little bit of Confederacy of Dunces. The setting sort of becomes a character in the story. And as you're reading this, you're definitely rooting for Richard to wake up and appreciate life. And it's also very, very funny. And again, that is This Book Will Save Your Life by A.M. Holmes. So again, like I said before, I'm not quite sure when this podcast is going to air. I don't have a date yet, Um, but I am one week away from Shark Week, which not only is it Shark Week, but it's also my birthday week. Um, And I'm so glad those two go together because I have had an obsession with sharks ever since I was little. I definitely was one of those kids who saw Jaws at a far too young age And that's all I thought about when I went in the ocean, being that I grew up on the ocean. Um, So any kind of book about sharks, any kind of movie about sharks, anything, I just will consume it much like a shark. Um, So the book that I'm going to talk about is my nonfiction pick for the week, Close to Shore, The Terrifying Shark Attacks of 1916. And this was published in 2001 by Michael Capuzzo. I tried to read this a few years ago. I had saved the title and I'd been looking for it, but I couldn't find it anywhere. And then I waited a little while and finally it is back. So I'm not sure if they just printed more or what, but I was very happy to find it. Um, This is the true story of a man-eating shark that inspired the fiction novel Jaws. It's a close look at the summer of 1916 when a rogue great white shark swims along the coast of New Jersey and it bizarrely takes a turn into Matawan Creek. And I say bizarrely because sharks don't really leave the ocean. They need salt water. Um, but Matawan Creek is a freshwater creek and it's 11 miles inland. And so the shark has taken a turn. They don't know if it got lost or if it was desperately hungry um, or if it was following prey up into the creek, but it 
takes this wrong turn and it begins attacking swimmers um, who are just hanging out in the creek over the summer. And it prompts the biggest shark hunt in history. And allegedly, it's the first shark attack um, on a swimmer in U.S. history, at least the first recorded attack. So at first, no one believed that it was even a shark after the first attack. They blamed all sorts of other animals, from tuna to orcas to even poor sea turtles and even a swordfish. Um, But all of the attacks are definitely visualized for the reader with a lot of detail. So if you are someone who maybe gets a little nauseous at a violent shark attack, this is probably not the book for you. Um, But I loved all the characters that you meet along the way from the Jersey shoreline. You meet a doctor and a farm boy, and you see how this shark completely changed the course of their lives. My favorite details weren't the spine-tingling gory ones, but all of the specific details um, about the time and place, New Jersey Beach life in 1916. Uh, Capuzzo writes very specifically about the types of bathing suits that were worn and what men and women were allowed to reveal in their bathing suits, totally different from how things are now. Um, And he talks a lot about the sort of oceanic bathing rituals. And I just loved all of those specific details that kind of reminded me of a sociological study of humans. And I definitely learned a lot about sharks and a lot about the human psyche. And again, that's Close to Shore, The Terrifying Shark Attacks of 1916 by Michael Capuzzo. For my literary pick this week, I selected a new book called Where We Come From by Oscar Cesaris. This book was published in May 2019, and I absolutely love this book, and I'm surprised it didn't get even more buzz this year. I had heard about it from a couple of different sources, but this is really the kind of book that we should be hearing about everywhere. It's such a timely story. The setting is central to this novel, and it takes place in Brownville, Texas, which is a city right along the U.S.-Mexican border. So it's about a woman named Nina. She has lived there her whole life, right along the border. She's watched a ton of people in her life pass through Brownville, but she's settled and lived there with her own aging mother. Um, People have moved on and to different cities in the United States, but she's sort of stagnant in her life. Um, And she has this cleaning lady named Romalda who asks a big favor of Nina one day. Romalda wants to know if her own daughter and grandchild, who are going to join some family um, in Fort Worth, could please be housed in their empty, they have like a guest house behind their house, um, once they cross the border. So they're coming from Mexico, and Romalda wants to know if they can just stay at Nina's just for a little bit um, before someone helps them get to their next destination. So Nina has a lot of reservations. She really doesn't want to be part of anything illicit, and she wants to stay away from any kind of trouble and just live her life. But Romalda knows that flattery can get you everywhere, and she really pours on the compliments to Nina, who finally relents and says, okay, I'll do this for you. So it's done. Nina helps the family, and once they've illegally crossed, she thinks she's done her good deed, and she can go on with her life. But she is not done because she ends up getting a subsequent phone call from someone running a smuggling ring 
who asks if they can use the same facility on her property to help smuggle more people across the border. So Nina immediately says no. She wants no part in this. She helped Romalda because she had a connection to her. Um, But when she says no, the people who called her began to threaten to turn her in for what she's already done, for the help she's already given. So she's kind of in a catch-22, and she's gotten way in over her head. And she doesn't want to say yes, but she kind of gets bullied into saying yes. So at the same time, Nina's nephew, Orly, is 12 years old, and he is coming to stay with her for the summer. His mother recently passed away from an aneurysm, and his father has gone to, I think it's Napa, for the summer with a lady friend. So when Orly arrives, there is another boy, a 12-year-old boy named Daniel, who is hiding in the back house. And despite all of Nina's efforts to hide this from her nephew, Orly discovers Daniel, and the two of them form a bond. One thing I really liked about this narrative is that the narration really roams. So, you know, when you're having a reading experience where a character comes in briefly and you just love them and wish you could turn the camera on them and follow them, this is what the author does here. You get to follow that character who comes in um, just for a moment and you get to see how their story plays out. So it might be someone who was in the back house and you wonder, well, where does their story go from here? You actually just get kind of an aside or a brief summary of how their life ends up. So I found this very satisfying as a reader. Um, I think to a lot of people, what happens at the border is a black and white issue. If you cross the border illegally, you should be prosecuted. And I think this book does a great job really highlighting all of the gray areas and it gives a voice to people who are usually silenced in this situation. It's about borders and secrets. It's about sacrifices. And it's about the lies we tell ourselves. And it's also definitely about our very broken system. And again, that's Where We Come From by Oscar Cesaris. So my last two books are a little bit harder to talk about without giving too much away. Um, The first is my young adult pick for the week, which is Dig by A.S. King. And that came out in March of this year. It is King's 11th novel. And I wouldn't be surprised if it won lots of awards this year. Um, The cover is so cool. It's potatoes growing, but they're rendered in such a way that they kind of look like a heart with, you know, veins and ventricles and all those things that So I wanted to start by saying that this book is a bit like a puzzle and it kind of takes a while to see how the pieces fit together, but you just need to stick with it and trust that the author knows what they're doing. Um, You start by getting introduced to these various young adult characters that don't have real names, just uh, signifiers. So there's the shoveler and there's the freak and there's can I help you? And there's Loretta the flea circus ring mistress and there is First Class Malcolm. And they are all, you find over the course of the story, connected in some way. Um, The characters are weird, they're bold, they're raw, they're real, and you get to see their personal evolutions throughout the book. So without spoiling why, how they're connected, which by the way, the book jacket, I'm sure the author didn't want this. Well, I shouldn't speak for the author, but if I were the author of the book, I would not want Um, their connection to be on the jacket cover, because I feel like that's 
at the heart of the novel and you want your reader to discover these things, but unfortunately it is. So if you are planning on reading this book and you are someone who does not like spoilers, do not read what the book is about because it will definitely spoil it for you. This book deals with so many issues. It covers the gamut. It deals with issues of family and class and gender and race and racism and abuse and family dysfunction and mental health and privilege. And again, that is Dig by A.S. King. Oh, and she has a new book coming out um, in October of this year called The Year We Fell from Space. And my last pick of the week is Little Darlings by Melanie Goldberg, which apparently is going to be a movie. This falls into the gothic suspense genre. It came out, I don't have the exact date here, but it came out a couple months ago. Um, And it takes place in England. And it is about a new mom named Lauren, and she has just given birth to twins. So she's home and recovering now, but she's consumed with fear because of what happened to her in the recovery room in the hospital. Basically, a very scary woman enters her room with the twins and says, kind of out of a fairy tale or a fable, I'll take yours and you can have mine, as she tries to take her twins and replace them with her own twins. So Lauren is distraught that this has happened. She can't believe it. Um, But no one believes her, not the police who were called, not the doctors, and definitely not her own husband, who thinks she's kind of in this postpartum haze and imagining all these horrible things because she's so exhausted. So Lauren is consumed by what has happened, and she keeps thinking about the woman, and she keeps thinking she's seeing her places, she's seeing her outside her home, stalking her. And no one believes her, and she's basically treated as this madwoman in the attic. I think a lot of this book draws on folklore and fairy tales. It kind of reminded me of Neil Gaiman. It reminded me of Grimm's fairy tales. It reminded me of Angela Carter. And also the novel The Perfect Mother, if you have read that one. It is beautifully written. It's creepy. It's a modern fairy tale. And again, that is Little Darlings by Melanie Golding. Please email me with comments, recommendations, and questions at booksaremypeople at gmail.com and visit booksaremypeople.com for everything else, including sponsorship and where to send review copies. If you want to find out what books I talked about today, please go to booksaremypeople.com and check out the show notes section of the website. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoy a bookishly wonderful week.